Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. Man, I love that song. That is like one of my favorite, maybe my favorite song as well with my soul. And um, uh, when you know the backstory to that song too, it's just so powerful. If you don't know it, I encourage you to go back and look at that. In today's day and age, you can go and just Google it. It's, it's incredible. It is so powerful. Um, it is well with my soul. That should be a prayer um, that we have every day of our life, man. God, just make it well with our souls, no matter what happens in this life. Help us to fix our gaze and our eyes on you. Um, man, I love that. Um, so so uh, we're going to kind of start off a little bit, um, a little different here today. I'm going to ask you a question, super spiritual question, not really, but it'll make sense here in a little bit. The question is, who in here um, likes history? Anybody like history? Any history buffs? Okay, awesome. Yeah, we got a lot of them. Man, I love I love history. History uh, it teaches us so much about where we come from. It, it shows us the things that kind of shaped and mold the world that we, we live in today. And as I was kind of preparing for the sermon this week, um, being somebody that loves history so much, um, as I was diving into this text, it reminded me of a battle that took place back in the Civil War. It was actually a battle that took place within another bigger, bigger battle, the Battle at Gettysburg. The Battle at Gettysburg was one of the most uh, famous, probably the most famous, most important battle in the entire battle, uh, or in the, in the entire Civil War, rather. And the battle that took place within, within this battle at Gettysburg, it, it took place at a hill called Little Round Top. Little Round Top. This, this one little hill held the key to determine the outcome of that entire battle, the entire battle at Gettysburg. And it's been uh, thought of by many historians that if this one hill, this battle, or, or this one little hill, Little Round Top, if it had been taken over by the Confederates, the Confederates most likely would have won the battle at Gettysburg. And had they won the battle at Gettysburg, they most likely would have won the entire Civil War, this one battle. So this was a huge battle. This, this one hill, there was so much riding on this. And there were several different regiments that were tasked with holding this hill at all costs, is what they were told, hold this hill. One of the regiments that was tasked with holding this hill at all costs was the 20th, uh, 20th of May. And they were led by a guy named Joshua uh, Chamberlain. So they were tasked with holding the far left side of this hill. Again, the order was at all costs, no matter what, do not let the Confederates through. Hold this at all costs. And so the Confederates start kind of advancing. They start attacking at this hill. Guess where they move? They start shifting towards the far left side, towards Chamberlain and his men. And these, these guys come under very, very heavy fire, very heavy attack. After intense fighting for about an hour and a half, Chamberlain and his men, the 20th of Maine, they almost run completely out of ammo. Several of this, their men literally did not have a single shot left, barely any ammo left at all. And in that moment in time, they were faced with a decision to make with barely any ammo. Do we tuck tail and run and say, hey, we don't have any ammo. What are we going to do? Throw rocks at them? We can't do anything. The battle's, it's already done, right? We can't do anything. So they could have tuck tailed and they could have run or they could have stood their ground and fought at all costs with anything and everything that they had at their disposal, with no rounds left. Granted, the Confederates still had rounds and were still shooting at them. But in this moment, they decided to stand firm, 
to stand their ground and fight at all costs. With barely any ammo left, Joshua Chamberlain gave the order to fix bayonets. Bayonets are just long knives. That's all that they are. You attach at the end of your rifle. It is literally the last result. So they, with, these, with these long knives, these bayonets attached to the end of their rifle, these men charged the Confederate line, still bullets flying in their direction, charged with nothing more than knives on the end of their rifle. These men refused to give up on their mission. They didn't give the Confederates a single inch, and they stood united for one cause, to defend that land at all cost, no matter what. And because of their heroic actions, they ended up winning that battle at Little Round Top, thereby helping to win the battle at Gettysburg, thereby helping to win the entire Civil War. The entire Civil War. Because everything that we do in life, our choices, our decisions, our actions, everything carries with them consequences. And the ripple effects of our choices, our decisions, our actions will be felt throughout history. If these men had changed even just a little bit of their choice, their, their actions, even if it just swayed just a little bit. It could have completely tipped that battle. It could have completely tipped the entire war, and it could have completely changed the entire course of our nation's history if they had just changed their decision, changed their actions just a little bit. In the same way, several thousand, a couple thousand years ago, there were some men that gathered together in Jerusalem and had a meeting. And this meeting was no ordinary meeting. It was one of the most important, one of the most impactful meetings um, for Christianity and for the truth of the gospel that ever took place. And in this meeting, these men stood firmly for what they knew to be true. They refused to give the enemy even an inch of ground. And they chose to stand united as one for one cause, to defend the truth of the gospel at all costs. Through this text that we're going to be diving into today, the big idea that we're going to kind of see revealed is that we are called to stand united as one body for the spread of one gospel. We are called to stand united as one body for the spread of one gospel. And every single one of us is called to this end. Every one of us. And the way that you choose to respond to that call personally will not only have effects and ripple effects that will be seen throughout the course of history in this life, but the ripple effects will be seen throughout all of eternity, the way that you respond to that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church that you've put together. And we submit to the fact that nothing that we're doing here today is of our own accord. It's a, nothing that we're doing here today is of our own power, our own intellect. This is all about you, Jesus, and what you've we are completely incapable of doing any of this on our own. And Holy Spirit, we just submit to your power in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that we can just feel you tangibly. I pray that you just take over this service, God. And I pray that you speak to our hearts, speak to my heart. Change us, God. I pray that when we leave here today, we do not leave here the same. That we leave transformed by your word, by your gospel, Jesus. And I pray if there's anybody here today whose eyes, whose heart has not been opened to the gospel message, I'll pray that you open their hearts. You meet them right here where they're at, and that you save them right there where they're at. We pray all this in your mighty and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, I want to give you guys a quick heads up before we start kind of diving into the text. 
a little bit later, I'm going to need your help with something, okay? And when I say I'm going to need your help with something, I'm, I'm really going to need your help with something. It's not going to work unless everybody kind of pitches in and do this, does this, okay? Can, can I count on you guys? Can I count on you? Okay, good. All right, so what I'm going to need to do, quick heads up, um, go ahead and raise your hand if you've got a, a smartphone, any kind of smartphone, Apple or Android will do. Raise your hand nice and high, Apple or Android. Of course, people that love Jesus, they're going to have Apples, Androids. That's okay. God uses um, those things as well. I'm kidding, of course. Um, okay, so what I'm going to need, need you to do, everybody that raised your hand, um, we now know that you have a smartphone. So what I'm going to need you to do on that smartphone, um, I, I need you to break open, where's my phone at? Uh, your, don't actually break it open, but um, I need you in a little bit, when I say so, go ahead and press the button that looks like a flashlight, Okay. So you're going to press that button when I give you the cue. It's going to be a while, okay? you got a little while, but I'm giving you the heads up. I'm going to need you to press that button for the flashlight just like that. When you do, you're going to hold it up nice and high, as high as you can. Can I count on you to do that? You good? Okay, so go ahead and keep that out. Um, I've got mine on airplane mode, so hopefully I won't get any calls or anything. I think I'll be good with that. So we'll do that again. That, that, we're going to do that a little later. I just wanted to give you the heads up about that. A quick recap, though, for anybody that hasn't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been in um, the book of Galatians. Um, we're in this series that's going to be going on for the next few weeks. Uh, started it two weeks ago. This is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible, man. I, I love it. It's a small book found in the New Testament, but it packs a big punch. Uh, it's been revered by many people, including the late Martin Luther, as one of the most impactful books in the entire Bible. It was actually Martin Luther's favorite book in the whole Bible. It's been called the Declaration of Independence of Christian Liberty. Imagine having that as a name for a book, the Declaration of Independence of Christian Liberty. Um, so there's so much meat in this book. It was originally a letter that was written to a group of churches in the area or the region of Galatia, thus the name Galatians. And in this book, Paul hammers home a lot of different things, but the biggest um, thing, the most important perhaps thing that he hammers home is the fact that when we know and when we apply the truths of the gospel to our everyday life, it literally changes everything. It changes everything. And we, we wrapped up the first chapter in this book last week. A couple of the big picture truths that we saw from that first chapter, just to kind of catch you up, is uh, the very first week we saw that there is only one gospel and it never changes. There's only one gospel and it never changes. And we also saw, Paul told us, that if we add even just a little bit, we add a little bit, take away just a little bit to the truth of the gospel, it completely contaminates it and it turns it into a lie that doesn't save and only destroys the second big picture truth that we saw last week is the fact that the gospel causes transformation. So in other words, real, uh, a real response to the gospel causes automatically real transformation that is going to be evident to you and to the people around you. Not perfection, but real transformation. So that's kind of to catch you up to speed. And what we're going to be diving into today, what we're going to see in this text is this meeting. This meeting, one of the most important meetings that took place in Jerusalem a couple thousand years ago that could have very easily, if it had gone in a different direction, completely swayed the entire course of Christian history. So with that said, let's go ahead and dive in. Galatians chapter 2, starting with the first couple of verses here. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preached among the Gentiles but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. So, so last week, if you remember, we briefly touched on the fact that Paul had gone up to Jerusalem one time, or uh, one time after his conversion, I should say, um, three years 
after his conversion. That was the first time that he had gone up to Jerusalem. So in other words, when Jesus met him on that road to Damascus, by the way, he was on his way to persecute and to have Christians killed. That's what he was doing on that road. He had already been doing it in Jerusalem. He got special permission to go to Damascus and do it again. This dude was passionate about persecuting and having Christians killed. That's what he was doing. So Jesus Christ met him on that road on his way to have Christians persecuted and killed, and he saved him on that road. Not only that, but Jesus Christ also revealed the truth of the gospel to him. We saw that last week, and um, he also commissioned him on the spot to preach specifically to the Gentiles. So that's what was going on, and Paul, uh, Paul got radically saved and transformed. Soon after that, Paul didn't make excuses. Soon after that, Paul is going around preaching the truth of the gospel, actually in Damascus, so much so that just, I mean, within days, he ended up becoming one of the most radical, well-known preachers of the gospel in the same exact place that he was supposed to be persecuting Christians, and they ended up trying to kill him. So that's what was happening in that um, event, and again, it was three years later after that event where he was preaching the gospel and gotten saved and all that, then he goes to Jerusalem for the first time to meet with a couple of the apostles, for the, for the other apostles for the first time. And now he's talking about another event. 14 years later, fast forward 14 years, he's going back to Jerusalem. Hey, bud. Um, he's going back to Jerusalem. And, um, and um, yeah, so he's going back to Jerusalem. All that time, during that, uh, that was 14 years, he's preaching the gospel. He's uh, planting churches, telling people about Jesus. That's what Paul did all the time. And he was extremely good at it. And then this text mentions two guys. One of the guys that it mentions is this guy named Barnabas. Who's Barnabas? Um, this dude was a, a close friend and also a ministry partner with Paul. He went on uh, the first missionary journey with him, helped to plant churches, spread the gospel, um, just a, a solid man of the faith, good ministry partner with Paul. The second guy that this text mentions is this guy named Titus. Titus. And, and Titus, you're going to need to remember him. He's a very key figure in this text, in this story, okay? Very pivotal um, figure in this text. We're going to dive into him a little bit later and kind of explain that. But for right now, he's kind of introduced for the first time. All you need to know right now, and we'll get to the details later, but right now, you know, he was, a, he was a, a Gentile. Gentile was kind of like a derogatory term for a non-Jew. So he was a non-Jew. That's who this Titus was. And uh, so in other words, he was saved through Paul's preaching. After Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection, after Pentecost, all these different things, Paul's going out, spreading the gospel, and Titus is one of the guys that hears the gospel from Paul's teaching, and then he gets radically saved. He ends up becoming a very, very powerful, effective ministry partner with Paul. That's why he goes with Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. So that's what's going on here, okay? So again, remember, remember Titus. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. A couple of reasons that Paul's going to Jerusalem. It's like, why is Paul going to Jerusalem? A couple of reasons. First one, this text tells us that it was according to a revelation. According to a revelation to present the gospel he preached to the Gentiles. So according to, the, to a revelation. And when the text tells us, it reminds us the fact that Paul wasn't receiving his marching orders from a random person. In other words, this dude wasn't receiving orders from like this group of people over here. This guy wasn't making it up on his own, uh, like on the spot. I think I'm going to go over here. That sounds like a good idea. This dude straight up got revelations from Jesus Christ, was saved in person by the resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, was presented with, taught the gospel by the resurrected Lord and Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ, commissioned on the spot, and he received other revelations throughout the course of his ministry. He got his marching orders from Jesus. Everything, catch this, everything that Paul did was for Jesus. Everything that he did. 
And guys, this points us to the fact that everything that we do as a church, everything that we do in our community is called to be done for Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Our mission, our main mission as Christians is to bring glory to God, the Father, to bring glory to God by making Jesus Christ famous. And we make him famous in our lives, we make him famous in our families' lives, we make him famous in our churches, and we make him famous in our missions. Everything that we do, that's what we're called to do. Make Jesus Christ famous, thereby bringing glory to God. It doesn't matter if you're sharing the gospel with thousands of people. It doesn't matter if you're going out feeding the hungry, which you're going to be able to do again on the 17th coming up, by the way. Um, it doesn't matter um, you know, if you're helping volunteering in the church, scrubbing the daggum toilet, man. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're doing it for the name of Jesus, everything that we do, hear me on this, everything that we do carries with it these, these consequences, these ripple effects that will be felt throughout the course of history, everything. And not only that, but everything that we do, every decision that we make, every action that we take, here's the other thing. It will either be for Jesus, in other words, it will be something that will be done in the name of Jesus, or it will be something that will be done against Jesus, either for Jesus or against Jesus used by God to build up the kingdom of God, used by Satan to help tear that kingdom down. There's no middle ground with that. Every choice that we make, every action that we take, will either be used by God to build up his kingdom or used by Satan to try to tear it down. The other reason that Paul went to Jerusalem um, is actually because of some fear that he was having. Some fear that he was having. And this might kind of catch some people off guard. Like, what are you talking about? Like Paul seems like this fearless dude, this, this one of the most courageous men of the faith that ever lived. Like how in the world was this dude, how did he have any kind of nervousness or fear? So courageous. Like when I think about Paul, this is just, I don't know, my wacky brain. This is how I think. I love action movies, by the way. I love like the Marvel movies, the DC movies. I love that kind of stuff. I'm just a nerd when it comes to that, the comic books, all that. So when I think about Paul, this is how my crazy brain thinks. I start thinking about Captain America. I start thinking about this dude, Captain America, because he's one of those guys that, like, no matter what's going on, in the face of, like, the worst fear, everybody else is panicking, running around, and, you know, like, the world is getting, I don't know, like, taken over by aliens or something like that. Captain America is the dude that's just standing there all cool, calm, collective, and looking awesome at the same time. That's him. And, and so I start thinking about that dude when I think about, when I think about Paul. Um, early on this, this week, uh, me and my wife, Brittany, we actually got to go uh, to the movie, the new uh, Avengers movie, Infinity Wars. Has anybody seen that movie yet? Anybody? Like one of you. Okay. All right. Um, it, it was an awesome movie. So, and it was crazy. The end of the movie, it kind of ended like, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to tell you the ending. Um, but it, you, if you go, if you like those kind of movies, you won't be disappointed. Uh, just know that it, it, was a, it was a good movie. You like that kind of stuff. But the, the basic premise of this movie, there was like this alien invasion. Because of course, if you're going to have like a really cool movie like that, an action movie, you're going to have an alien invasion, right? So there's an alien invasion, and um, these guys come down wreaking havoc all over the place. Then you see a couple of these Avengers that are uh, kind of in this, this, this fight, this, this bustle with, with a couple of, uh, of, um, of these aliens, the creepy-looking, weird-looking alien dudes. And it looks like they're about to be taken down in this scene. And then all of a sudden, when it looks like it's about to be game over for these Avengers, it's like, oh, we're not going to see them anymore. Game over. These guys are gone. They're about to get, like, you know, be done with from these alien dudes. 
All of a sudden, the camera shifts to this other like spot in the in the room that they were in, and all you see is like the silhouette of this dude. He's just like this jack dude. He's standing there. He's all jacked. You just see the silhouette. A train goes by, and it just like adds mystery to it. Um, and, and then, as a train goes by, you, it zooms in, and you see who this is. You see, it's the cap. Captain America, and he is just standing there, just all cool, calm, collective, just staring these guys down, ain't breaking a sweat, nothing. When the whole world is going crazy, aliens are invading all over the place, it seems hopeless. These Avengers are about to just be done with, rid with, um, but, you know, by these, these alien dudes, and he's just standing there all cool, calm, and collective. And you know as soon as you see him, as soon as he comes on the screen, he's just standing there like that, you're like, oh, man. Oh, snap. These guys, these alien dudes, they're done for, man. They don't even stand a chance. It is game over before he even makes a single move. Why? Why is that? Because it's daggum Captain America. That's why. You don't need any other excuse. And so when I think about Paul, I think about this guy, and you might be like, dude, that's just like a fictional character. What are you even talking about up there? Like, that's a ridiculous exaggeration. Why would you be thinking about a superhero like that? Well, here's why. There's several stories about Paul and the, the crazy, awesome things that he did in the Bible. But let me just remind you of one story really quick. This happened in Acts chapter 14. So Paul goes around. He went all over the place preaching the gospel. He goes into this city, Lystra, and he's preaching the gospel to these people. He actually heals a lame guy at first, preaching the gospel. These guys think in that city that he's a god. They actually think that he's like God in human form, essentially like Jesus, but they didn't believe the God, they didn't know the gospel. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not a God. Don't worship me, worship Jesus. It's not my power, this is the power of God. He's just working through me for whatever reason. I don't even deserve it. Like, no, this is God, look at Jesus. He's telling them the gospel, and these people are loving him. And then these Jews come in. A lot of times these were these false teachers that were coming into the churches he planted and spreading these lies. These Jews come in, and this same moment in time, and they start uh, kind of swaying the crowd. They lie to them, spread these lies, and they sway the entire crowd. So this crowd in this city in Lystra goes from loving this dude, like I'm practically worshiping this dude, to all of a sudden they hate him, right? And, and what they do, they actually start stoning him. And you got to know something about stoning. Stoning, when we hear that phrase, this was a horrible, horrible thing that would happen to people. Like if you were a person that was stoning somebody, you wouldn't just pick up a little pebble to kind of throw it at them a little bit, um, you know, just to, to kind of scare them off, maybe cause a little bit of pain, but to kind of scare them off so they would, they would shoo away, right? That's not what stoning is. These dudes would pick up the biggest, baddest, meaning-looking stones around, like pick up like almost like a little anvil-looking thing and chunk it at this dude, whoever they were stoning, as hard as they can in order to inflict as much damage as possible in order to literally kill him. Like that's what they were doing. They were in the process of trying to kill Paul. That's what their goal was, to kill him. And get this, when they thought that Paul was dead, when they literally thought they saw his seemingly lifeless body, like this dude, he's gone, man. He's gone. Here, one more hit, just kidding. No, he's gone. Like they thought he was dead. They take his lifeless body, drag it outside of the city. They leave his lifeless body outside of the city for the vultures to just do whatever they want with. And he's laying there. His disciples go around him. Everybody thinks this dude's dead, that Paul is dead. But guess what? He wasn't. He was only half dead. He's only half dead, Right? So he comes back to, kind of gains his consciousness a little bit. And he realizes he's outside of the city, right? And they just, you know, he realizes what happened. So get this. This is what this dude does. He picks up 
his half-dead, half-lifeless body, and he drags himself back into that city, and he starts preaching the gospel again. That's what Paul did. And this was just another day at the office for Paul. This is the kind of stuff that this dude would do all of the time. That's why when I think I love you know, action figures, I think of guys like these superheroes, Captain America, whatever. This dude was fearless. He was fearless. He did things that nobody else would even dream of because he had so much faith and he loved Jesus so much and he wanted to spread the gospel message no matter what. And so this, this causes us to wonder, why was this guy kind of scared? Why, what, what had him so upset? I mean, it had to be something really big for Paul, this seemingly fearless dude, to be kind of nervous and a little upset about something. And the reason was because the meeting that Paul was about to have in Jerusalem was one of the most important, one of the most impactful meetings that ever took place regarding the defense of the gospel. And Paul knew it. He knew it. There was so much at stake in this meeting that he was about to have. So many of the things that he had done, planting churches, telling people about the truth of the gospel. And he knew that they, if they did not stand united, that he wouldn't be able to do much of anything to try to defend himself as an apostle, defend the truth of the gospel, and the repercussions of that, thousands, hundreds, thousands, millions of souls that would be lost in the process. And the ripple effects will be felt today. Huge meeting. So let's keep on going in this text. We're going to see what happened in this meeting all those years ago. Galatians 2, 3 through 5. But not even Titus, who was with me, this is Paul talking, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved for you. In this text, we get another profound picture at just the magnitude of this meeting, what was going on, what was taking place, what was at stake. Paul tells us that the freedom that we have in Christ and the truth of the gospel were at stake. The freedom that we have in Christ and the truth of the gospel. And in this text, we see what the outcome was, that these men stood united They decided to stand united as one body of believers for the spread of one gospel. And praise God, thank God that they decided to do that, to stand united for the spread of the gospel and not sway at all, even a little bit, in the truth of the gospel. And part of Paul's proof for this, he's like basically saying, look, don't just take my word for it. I have proof. And his proof was Titus. Remember, I told you we're going to get back to Titus. Titus. And remember, this is a different day and age um, than it is today. Today, it, you know, we gotta, when, we, when we dive into the Bible, you got to kind of put your feet in the sands of time, so to speak, so you can kind of understand the context, what's going on in their day and age. They didn't have internet. They didn't have phones. They didn't have any of this stuff. You couldn't be- go back on YouTube and all these other things. You didn't have cell phones, okay? I know that's crazy for a lot of us to think about, but they didn't have any of that. Okay, so when you took messages or you had proof or whatever else, it was through word of mouth. It was through different people and events like that. That's what took place. So Titus, this guy, um, and, and this was a big deal because I remember Titus was a Gentile. A Gentile, again, is a non-Jew. It's kind of a derogatory term for a non-Jew. So Titus is a non-Jew. He got saved after all this stuff, after Pentecost, after all these other stuff uh, that was going on. 
and by Paul, from the teaching of Paul, the truth of the gospel, radically saved, radically transformed, became a minister to the gospel, because he was a Gentile, that meant he wasn't circumcised. And you're like, dude, why are you working this up so much? He wasn't circumcised. Who cares? That was a big deal. That was an extremely big deal that he was not circumcised as a Christian man, not only a Christian man, but as a leader, seen as a leader within the church as well. The reason that circumcision was such a big deal is because every Jewish male, every single one, you did not have a choice. Every Jewish male had to be circumcised. Every one. It was one of the most profound outward signs that you belong to God, that you essentially belong to the family. So profound. And the false teachers, these false teachers that were in Galatia, that were, and that's one of the reasons that he was writing this, this letter. We, we hit on that a lot in the last couple of weeks. These, these false teachers were infiltrating the churches, spreading lies. And one, what they were spreading is the fact that these, these Christians, they were telling them that they had to keep the Mosaic law in order to be saved. You had to keep the Mosaic law. Every little detail of that law, works-based salvation, legalism. That's what they were saying in order to be saved. And at the top of their list would have been circumcision. They would have been telling the Galatian men, you have to be circumcised. If you ain't circumcised, you ain't part of the in club, you ain't part of the family, you are not a man of God. You are not saved, essentially, is what they would have been telling. That would have been one of the top things at their list. In other words, these guys were telling them that they had to earn your salvation by doing the right thing at the right time, saying the right thing, wearing the right thing, all that. This is legalism, guys. It's legalism, which tells us that you got to earn God's favor rather than receiving it as a free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And that is a lie. But in this letter, Paul is telling us, guys, look at Titus. Look at Titus, a Gentile who was not circumcised, even though he was there. He was in the meeting, not just with me. He was there in the meeting with James, with John, with Peter, all these other leaders in the church, the other apostles who were Jews before, right? So these guys were circumcised. He was in that meeting. And Titus was known to be a man of God, a leader in the church. And so if this dude in that meeting with James, John, all these other guys, if he had discovered that he needed to keep every detail of this law, in order to be saved, if he needed to be circumcised, he would have been circumcised on the spot. No questions out. He would have been circumcised, but he wasn't. He wasn't because he knew that there wasn't any reason to. Why? We're saved by grace alone through Christ alone. That's why. Saved by grace alone through Christ alone and not by works. You guys hear me on this. The law does not save. Only Jesus does. Jesus is the only one that saves. Legalism leads to slavery under the law, but grace leads to freedom in Christ. Timothy Keller said, Christianity is about who I am in Christ, not what I do for him. Who I am in Christ, not what I do for him. Before Christ, we were in slavery. We were in bondage to the law. We could never fulfill it. We were in slavery and captivity to the law. The law just reminded us how wretched, how sinful we were, and how desperately we need a loving perfect savior to save us and to redeem us and to set us free and that savior's name is jesus christ our salvation comes through jesus christ alone and the word tells us that everyone that calls on the name of jesus and jesus alone will be saved will be saved let's keep on going and see what happens in this scene last few verses here Verses 6 through 10. Now from those recognized as important, 
What they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised. Gentiles, right? Non-Jews. Just as Peter for the circumcised Jews, right? Former Jews, circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles, when James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, main leaders in the church, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. So in this text, Paul just hammers home the fact that these guys, these men in this meeting stood united as one body of believers for the spread of one gospel. Their actions and their decisions in this meeting helped to shape the church into what it is today, the church as a whole. If these men had refused um, to stand united together for one common cause, it would have changed the whole course of Christian history, and the ripple effects would still be felt today. It would have divided the church from the very beginning. And guys, this points us to the fact that what we choose to do today what we choose to do with this season of time that God has planted all of us here together in one local church, a victory church, will not only have lasting effects in our lives and our families' lives, but they will have lasting effects in the community around us. The ripple effects will be felt for generations to come. Everything that we do, everything that we decide to do, the decisions, the choices, the actions that we make today in this season of time that we have together as a church, the ripple effects will be felt in this community for generations. And not only in this life, but for all of eternity. And that leads us to the question, will we choose to stand united as one body of believers for the spread of one gospel, willing to use the time, the talents, the resources, the money, the gifts, whatever it is, anything at our disposal, for one common cause, to spread the gospel message of Jesus grace alone, Christ alone? Or will we choose to live our lives as though the gospel, as though this church, as though Jesus Christ himself is not worth our everything, is not worth us standing united for? So remember at the beginning, I told you guys I was going to need your help, right? Remember that? I gave you a warning. Okay, so I want you to go ahead and pull out your cell phone. Go ahead and pull out your smartphone. This is the one time in the, in the service you get to pull out your smartphone. So this is, a, this is like a treat for a lot of people. All right, so um, here in just a moment, I'll give you the cue, and you're going to turn that light on, but I want to go ahead and give you the heads up. Everybody got them out? You ready? Okay, so we'll go ahead and uh, um, hit those lights there, please, sir. As when one person stands firmly for the gospel, it's a single light similar to a flashlight that can be seen in a dark room. Kind of like this a single light that can be seen in a dark room. But when the church stands united for one cause, go ahead and turn your light on. I want you to hold it up as high as you can. Hold it up high. There you go. When the church stands united for one cause, it's a lighthouse that can be seen for miles. Guys, hear me on this. The extent to which we stand united for one common cause will determine the extent to which we as a church body, along with the community around us, is impacted and transformed by the gospel. The last thing I want to do, you guys can go ahead and lower the lights, and we can turn the lights back on. Thank you. You guys did great. 
The last thing I want to hit on today, briefly, I want to dive into three practical ways that we can stand united as one body for the spread of one gospel. The first one is by understanding the gospel, by understanding the gospel. Because if we don't understand the gospel, how in the world can we spread it? How can you be changed and transformed by the gospel? How can you spread this gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption found through Christ if you don't even understand it? Know it. Apply it to your life. Understand it until it's completely ingrained into the fabric of your DNA. Until everywhere you go, everything that you do, everything that you see, it just illuminates the gospel in your life. Everywhere that you go. The second one is by consistently meeting together. Because when we are not consistent in our meetings together, then our strength is faulty. Our strength is faulty. There's so much strength, not only in the unity, but in the consistency of that unity. And our consistent meetings together shouldn't just be limited to, to one like hour, hour and a half um, scheduled time at one of the most convenient times of the week on Sunday mornings. It shouldn't just be limited to that. We should be meeting together during the week. That's why life group is so important here. Being able to do life together and dive in into the Bible, yes, but dive in into each other's lives. Pointing each other to Jesus. Doing life together. Telling you, praying for each other. Doing life together throughout the week. Life groups are what we do here on Wednesdays. But then also, go, man, go out, grab some coffee with somebody. Pray for them. Check on them. See how they're doing. And accountability as well. The last thing is by contributing to the cost, contributing to the cost. Guys, on Sunday mornings, hear me on this. On Sunday mornings, don't just come here and wait for other people to serve you. Don't just do that, man. If, if the apostles and if the early Christians came to so many of our churches today, they would look around and they'd be like, what in the world is going on here? What is going on? Because we are one body in Christ. Every single one of us is called to serve each other and also the community around us. When you come to this place, don't just wait to be served. Look for ways to plug in and be served. And I promise you, there are ways to plug in and serve at this church. I promise you, just look for them. And don't just wait for the invitation. Because this is, this is crazy to me, but, but it's so true. 20% of the church members, local church members, and this is all over the place, 20% do 80% of the work. 20% of local church members do 80% of the work. Imagine if we switched that at this church. Imagine if it was 80% of the people that did all the work, or even more than that. Imagine how much that would impact not only our lives, not only this church, Victory Church, but also the surrounding community in Morganton, North Carolina. Imagine what God would do, man. I'm convinced, guys, that God's got a whole lot of blessings in store for us and a whole lot of ways that he wants to use us. But several of the blessings and the ways that he wants to use us depend on whether or not we are willing to step out in faith and receive it and be united as one. Here at Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers, transformed to walk, and victory. And I want to encourage us. Well, first off, let me back up and say that is our vision, and we're praying for that to become a reality. But I want to encourage us to stop praying for that to become a reality tomorrow. And let's start praying for that to become a reality today. 
Start praying for it to become a reality today. Guys, let's be such an impact for the spread of the gospel that even hell itself hears about what God is doing in and through us here at Victory Church in Morganton, North Carolina, united as one for one common cause, the spread of the gospel. Worship team, you guys can come on up. If you're here today and you've never responded to the gospel and you don't really know who this Jesus is that I've been talking about, then I want you to know he will meet you where you're at. Just like he met Paul where he was at. I don't care what's going on in your your life. Paul was on his way to persecute and have Christians killed, man. And he met him on that road. He had already done it and he was on his way to do it again. He would have been like the present day leader of ISIS, one of the main leaders of ISIS. God met him where he was at and he saved him where he was at on that road and his life was instantly transformed. And within days, that dude was preaching the gospel. Not years, days. He will meet you at where you're at. He'll save you where you're at. And I'd love to talk to you about it. And if you're here today, you're a Christian and God has been working on your heart, stirring on some different things in your life, maybe some things that you've been unrepented of, you've been holding back from him some things that he wants to work on, and you know that he's been calling you to give those things over, but you just keep on taking them back. I encourage you to respond to that today. Or maybe you're here today, and, and, and something is, that he's been talking to you about is, is some ways that you need to plug in. And, and you've been seeing some ways that you can plug in or different resources that he wants to use, time, energy, money, uh, talents, whatever it may be. If God has been putting that on your heart, if he's revealing it to you today in this moment, I want to encourage you to respond to him. As we stand together, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to sing one last song of of praise to Jesus. And whatever it is that God is putting on your heart, don't wait to respond to him. He loves you. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us, and uh, I, I want to encourage you to to respond in some way today, because you know when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we um, whatever it may may be, the point of that is. Um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in his direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. 
Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, If you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So... Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.